We are entering the last chapter of 1 Peter this morning, and we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and the title of the sermon this morning is, Let the Bible Determine How You Lead and Follow. Let the Bible Determine How You Lead and Follow. And so, a lot of uh, times, we know that what we believe, uh, but sometimes we don't know exactly why we believe what we believe, and we as, as Southern Baptists, as do many other denominations, uh, we value the Word of God. We believe that our belief system is built upon what God has already told us and commanded us and communicated to us, and He has done that through Scripture. And so when we want to know what we are to do, um, the Bible is our go-to. When we want to know uh, how to how leaders in the church should lead, we should go to the Bible to discover that. When we want to know how we are to follow, all of us are followers. Even leaders are followers. We're all followers. When we want to know how to follow, we go to the Bible to learn how to follow. And so, um, with that said, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all this through, all five verses, and then we'll go back and we'll look at uh, some of these things. And then uh, I've decided this morning, just to keep you on your toes, Kimberly, that uh, we will also look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll do that a little later. Um, uh, but 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, let the Bible determine how you lead and follow. Let's start with verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so that closing right there, God opposes the, the, the proud. He doesn't oppose the crowd. He opposes the proud, uh, but gives grace to the humble. That's something important because as we talk about leadership, there should be humility. As we talk about leadership, obviously leaders should be confident. They should um, be well-trained or they should be called and, and God equips the called. So if they're called to a task of, of leadership in some specific area, then God will equip them to fulfill that, um, whether that's through education through as iron sharpens iron, through some friends, through some mentors, through the help of the church, uh, through other leaders. We will look at some of that a little later, uh, but we need to make sure that whoever the leaders are, that in the midst of their training, in the midst of their confidence, in the midst of what's going on, that there's humility. And humility means that you care about others as much or more as you care about yourself. Humility is putting God first. 
And that's why it's important for biblical leaders especially to exercise this. I believe that all Christians, no matter what field you're in, if you are a leader, that you should exercise some humility, um, but especially those leading the church because we are to be uh, like Christ. I'm not saying that all pastors perfectly reflect Christ. This pastor doesn't perfectly reflect Christ. Um, but we should strive to be like him. And if people can say your faults and name them, well, that's fine. They can do that with everybody, right? But one of those faults should not be that you don't love Jesus. One of those faults should not be that you're not striving to be like him. And so we have to be humble. We have to, to submit ourselves to, even leaders have to submit themselves to the authority of Christ. And so let's, let's look at some of what this says. Um, you know what? Before we even start reading this, I think it's important to know what an elder is and what the qualifications, before somebody can even become an elder, what does it look like? And so we're going to go ahead, Kimberly, if you would, uh, and we're going to go to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And many of you know about 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, the f first seven verses um, are about the qualifications of an elder, uh, what is required of a person before they can even become an elder, and then the next several verses are the qualifications of a deacon, so what is required of a person before they can be considered a deacon. And so when, when we as a church and churches, when we are looking for an elder or elders, um, we are looking for men who already meet these qualifications. And when I say the word elder, and when we just read the word elder, um, I am going to interchangeably use the word elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, because the New Testament uses those interchangeably. And if you were to go back to the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message, which if you don't know what the Baptist Faith and Message is, it's basically... A statement of beliefs of what this is what scripture teaches and this is why we believe it as Baptist um, when it's talking about uh, the Baptist Church it says there are two offices and that would be bishop and overseer and deacon now if you go to the updated version it says pastor and deacon uh, but pastor is just a word that in, it takes in all of these other words and so when I say pastor, elder, bishop, any of those things, because in different places, different Greek words are used because it's explaining a different aspect of the leadership responsibility of that position than um, I, I mean pastor, right, or elder. And so with that said, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So that starts off good, right? If, if someone wants to be a pastor or an elder, if someone wants to be in that role, then that's a, that's a good desire. That's a good desire to have. It's a noble task, so good desire. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This doesn't necessarily mean that someone has to be perfect because I don't know many human beings who are perfect except for Jesus. Uh, but this means 
Above reproach means that he's, he's living a life that is ethical. He's living a life where, that people respect, right? The next thing, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. All right, so it's going to keep going, but I want us to slow down and look at some of these things. And, and here is uh, an invitation. We have a flash flood warning coming, or anybody know what that alert is? Um, pause for station identification. I'll wait a second because this is gonna this is gonna go on for a second. All right, when they extend that in about three minutes, uh, we'll, we'll pause again. All right, we have a, a, a church safety team, so I'm sure if if we need to get somewhere safe, that they will. Uh, inform us of that. But let's look at these things word by word in, in verse 2. We, we talked about above reproach. The husband of one wife. Oh, here's your invitation. If you feel like uh, I, it, there's one of these things that I don't meet, then you can feel free to come and talk to me in love about that thing. Okay? Uh, you don't have to like get stand up right now and say, that doesn't sound like you. Okay, but feel free to come to my office uh, in love, in gentleness, and let me know. Uh, but the husband of one wife, sober-minded, which just means clear-headed, not clouded by drugs or anger or whatever the case might be, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and it's interesting to me in a culture where we don't really value hospitality that this is one of the requirements of an elder, that they must be hospitable. And I think the reason is is because if you're going to be a shepherd, and again, shepherd's another one of those words that I'll use interchangeably with pastor, overseer, you know, that kind of thing. But if you're going to be a shepherd, you have to be with the sheep. And so you have to get to know them. And we'll discuss that more later on in the message. Able to teach, verse 3, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? These are some serious requirements here. I mean, if we were to all look at these and all ask, would I be qualified to be an elder, to be an overseer, we would have to live up to these. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace, so that he may not fall, I'm sorry, into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So before you can even become an elder, 
you have to meet these qualifications. And those are some pretty heavy things mentioned there and, and listed there. And so um, let me talk a little bit more about what an elder is in Scripture. An elder has a lot of responsibilities in Scripture. Uh, it doesn't appear that each elder has every single one of these responsibilities, and it doesn't appear that each elder has the same level of responsibility in each of these areas, if that makes sense. Um, all elders are supposed to be able to teach. It says this in more than one place in Scripture. Um, however, it does not mean that all the only people who can be elders are lead pastors. There are different ways to teach other than being a lead pastor, preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning. Um, but you should be able to teach. All elders should be shepherds. They should help guide the people, lead the people. Therefore, pastors, elders, they need to exercise vision. They need to cast vision. They need to try to get people on the same page. They need Sheep want to go in their own way, right? Um, in all different ways. The, the sheep don't all want to go in the same direction all the time. Every once in a while, you, want to, you have one that starts straying over here. And the shepherd's job is to try to keep the sheep together. Now, they've got to be sheep first. Um, so I, I want to do a little exercise. It's very corny, so play along, you know. Uh, I want you to just close your eyes for a second and picture a shepherd. All right? Picture a shepherd. Okay. All right. You got your, your shepherd. Take note of some details. Picture your shepherd. Mental snapshot. Okay. You guys can... You know, I'm sorry, you got to look at this shepherd now. Your shepherd was probably like Brad Pitt or something, but. Um, all right, with a shepherd, in your picture, how many of you were there sheep present? So a lot of you. It's, it's hard to be a shepherd if you don't have sheep, right? How, in, your, in your picturing a shepherd, how many of you pictured something like a staff. Several of you, about half of you. You know, you, you, you got to have a tool to keep the wolves away. You got to have a tool to keep the sheep in line. You know, come over here, don't go over there. And so there have to be some things that you do in order to do both of those things, to keep the wolves away and uh, to keep the sheep together and going in the same direction. And so um, when we look at the word elder, when we look, when we think about what a pastor does, um, we need to keep in mind that there are many, many descriptions of what elders and pastors do in Scripture. And because there's several things that we have to discuss in this verse, we can't go into details on all of those things right now. But some of the main things that an elder does is they teach God's Word. And in fact, uh, if you remember when, when the office of deacons came into be, being, uh, it was because there, were, there was an issue with providing for some people that needed help 
and the pastors didn't have time to do both. They didn't have time to help these people who were in need and to shepherd the flock, to preach the word, things like that. And so it says in order for them to be able to focus on preaching the word, the deacons came to be to serve and the word deacon, diakonos, it's literally serve, servant. And so they came to serve in these other matters so that the pastors, elders, could focus on the word. Uh, so they focus on the word. They focus on shepherding, vision, and making sure everybody is going in the same way. Um, but I, I read this week that uh, shepherds should smell like sheep, right? Meaning that they should be rubbing shoulders with the sheep. They should be helping the sheep. They should be doing things. And so it's not just a deacon's job to be there when people need him. Um, it's, it's also a responsibility of the elders. And so um, with these type of things in mind, with these things said, um, I, I'm going to have to transition. I could speak a lot more on the role of an elder, but we need to get back to 1 Peter chapter 5. And so as we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, I want you to remember that Peter is writing to people who are scattered throughout this area and who went there because of um, persecution or different reasons. And he's telling them, he's exhorting them, encouraging them for a God-given reason. He says this, so I exhort the elders among you. Now, notice that that is not a singular form. Notice that that does not say, I exhort the elder among you. There's never a place in the New Testament where elder is used in singular form when it's talking about the leadership of a local church. Now, it's used in singular form to, to specifically mention one elder, or as Paul is about to say, one elder of many, saying he, you know, an elder of, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. You know, it, there, when it's talking about an individual, then it does, when it's specifically Paul's referring to himself or they're naming an elder, it'll, it'll use it uh, in single tense, uh, in the single form. But usually it is used in the plural form with the S on the end, elders, overseers. Um, the word for overseers is presbyters. That's kind of how we say it in English. Um, what does that remind you of for people who know about different denominations? Presbyterian. It's because we're structured a little differently. And they um, believe that their structure is based on some of what this says. And there, I think there's a lot of good in the Presbyterian structure. Um, but I really like our structure too, which we are congregationalists, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but the um, word for uh, overseer that we see a lot is episcopos. So if you know about other denominations, what does that sound like? Episcopalian. And so it's just... We're structured differently. Now, over the years, we've chased some different um, doctrine also, uh, but a lot of what is different is just about structure. Um, now, as Baptists, we believe in an elder form of government. 
We believe that there are elders and deacons, and, and we call it pastors here, right? But we believe that there are two offices in the church, and that is elders and deacons. And um, deacons exist to serve, to meet the needs that arise in the congregation. Deacons exist to serve. They are respected men. Um, there are uh, deaconesses in the Bible, which either means that there are women deacons, or as our church believes, that the, the wives of deacons should live as a deacon should live, that they should be respectable too, that they should live by these things and lead in these things. Um, I have my own uh, personal views about this. We can talk about those in private. Uh, the other thing I will say is that uh, elders, we believe that elders in the Baptist church, we believe, according to Scripture, that elders are supposed to be men. The reason we believe this is because Paul himself says that he does not permit women to be elders. In addition to that, he, said he, he doesn't use the culture as a reason for why he doesn't permit that. Because if he used the culture as an example, culture changes. So if you are in a different culture, then maybe women could be elders. Um, but the reason that we as Baptists believe that that doesn't change is because he goes back predating culture to Adam and Eve. And he uses the order of creation, which he also uses in talking about leadership in a home, which doesn't mean that one office or one role is better than the other, it just means that God has given us different roles and different offices and called us to different things. If you're called to be an elder and someone else isn't, it doesn't mean that God loves the elder more. It just means that God is going to hold him to a higher standard and that he is going to judge him to a higher standard, which is biblical. He will be held accountable for those that he was supposed to shepherd. And so um, with that said... This type of leadership in the New Testament is always shared. It's always plural. And in 1925, the original Baptist faith and message, the reason that it said uh, bishops and overseers, and it says deacons, a church should have deacons also, plural. Um, there should be shared leadership. We as Baptists believe that it's not the responsibility of one man to make the decision for the whole church. We don't believe that. We, we are not structured like the Catholic Church, where there's a pope and cardinals and bishops. Um, I might have some of that wrong, but there's a hierarchy where the pope makes a decision, it flows down to the cardinals, and then it flows down and it flows down until it gets to each individual local area. Um, we're not structured like that. As Southern Baptists, you have to flip that upside down. And the local areas, the local churches, get to govern themselves. They get to make up their own rules. Now, it has to be in agreement with, if you're Southern Baptist, it has to be in agreement with the Baptist faith and message, which are the, just these general statements from Scripture about what we believe about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Scripture, things like that. But most, most Christians would agree with, 
with most of the things in there, but there are a few um, that, for example, like we believe that women um, cannot be elders biblically, um, should not be, I should say. Uh, then, there we go. Okay, I'm having to recalibrate because I'm looking at my time. Okay, so the office should be shared. We believe that that pyramid is flipped upside down for Southern Baptists. Each local congregation um, gets to govern itself. And then we select uh, local churches to partner with, and that's called an association. And the associations work together to have a state convention. And the state conventions, all each conven- each, not every state has its own convention because some are small enough. The number of Baptist, Southern Baptist churches in those areas are small enough to where two or three states might come together and work together. But um, the associations, you know, in the local churches, they form the state convention, and then the state conventions work together to advise the IMB and NAOM. And these people who run these things aren't, are not necessarily the bosses. I'm not the boss of this church, okay? I don't get to tell you all what to do. There are days when I wish it was like that. Um, but I don't. And that helps with the humility that was talked about earlier. I don't get to tell you, do this. Now, as a leader, I get to guide you. I get to say, I think it would be great if you did this. I really want you to do this. It's my job to help uh, see gifts in you and point those gifts out and to shepherd you into positions of leadership to where you can continue to grow and to hold you accountable to making disciples, and it is my job when I see you living in sin to confront you in that sin, just as it's the personnel team and the deacon's job where if they see me living in sin, that they are to confront me in sin. And by the way, I don't know that that's necessarily the deacon's job, but because of the way things are structured in our church, it's a necessity. Someone needs to do it. And I said elders are plural earlier, um, but according to Biblically, how we define elders, in this church, I would be the only elder. So we have other structures in place to help this elder make some decisions, right? We have a church council, we have deacons, things like that. But we'll talk more about that as we continue. Um, So the reason I said that I'm not the boss and that the church has the final say is because the church gets to vote on a budget, for example. I don't get to determine how we spend our money. The church, uh, the finance team comes up with the budget based on all the individual teams and what they have requested and they've prayed about it and they've determined how much money we think we're going to have to be able to spend on missions and ministry and the building and all different things that we spend money on. And that, that team gives that recommendation to the finance team. The finance team makes up the whole budget and then gives that recommendation to the church, and the church votes on it. That's why we are a congregationalist uh, congregation, (laughs) because we believe that the final word comes from the congregation. Uh, If I'm not doing my job, do I get to say to you, too bad? I'm just going to keep being the pastor here? No, you have a right in a Baptist church to dismiss me from my duties. Now, there's a proper way to do that, and by the way, again, in a, if, if this was structured 
in a, a more biblical way, I think that it would be up to the fellow elders to determine whether or not that person is doing their job. But since we only have one elder, then that role has to fall on other people. And um, if you can't tell, I'm a fan of shared leadership. I think it's biblical. I think that it, it should be what we're doing. It doesn't mean that all of our elders have to be full-time pastors. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that, that God has called men to this role. And um, can I I'll tell you all something, and we'll keep it secret. Uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, if someone doesn't feel called to be an elder, guess what? They probably shouldn't be an elder. They can meet all the qualifications. There are godly men who meet the qualifications of an elder who should not be an elder. And if, you're call, if, you, if you have a desire to be an elder, but you don't have the gift of teaching, for example, well, that's required. That's a qualification for being an elder. And so you, you could not be an elder if you're not able to teach. Now, if God has given you desire, then practice. <laughs> Find some places in the church, one-on-one, do one-on-one discipleship. Do small group discipleship. Teach a Sunday school class one week when the Sunday school teacher is, has to be out. Get some practice. See if you, God will gift you in that, if you can increase that skill, if you can get better. But um, there are sp- some specific things. Uh, it, it, I believe that if, if Terry, he's not here, so I'll pick on him, um, if Terry wanted to be an elder, I believe he meets all the biblical qualifications of being an elder. But Terry might not want to be an elder, and so th- therefore he wouldn't be an elder. But our church, we don't have that system in place yet anyway, and so it wouldn't be a thing. But if it were there, that's something it would look like. And then there would be shared leadership in vision and some other things, um, shepherding, teaching, some other things like that. But back to our passage. Let's begin it now. First, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, elders plural, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, so he's also an apostle, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's good that we get to look forward to that. That he, yes, he's experienced the suffering, but he's also going to get to experience the glory, the joy. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So he's encouraging the elders that are scattered also. He's encouraging them to continue to do their job, to be faithful, to shepherd the flock, to exercise oversight. And again, this is what I was saying earlier. Some of these words come from the actions that they're told to do. And so exercising oversight, that's the task of an overseer or an elder. Um, Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. You know that there are pastors out there who do things to get more money or to get, um, for prideful reasons, to get more people on, on their team, in their flock. And it's not to be for shameful gain. It's to be for Christ, but eagerly. Not domineering, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. It's not a pastor's job to force people to do things. It's a pastor's job 
to lead, to shepherd, to guide. And this is a fine line because I find myself all the time stepping over the line in one direction or the other. There are times when I tend to be too domineering. And then there are times when I tend to not shepherd and guide and encourage and exhort enough and, and to push. Sometimes you've got to pick up a sheep and carry it where it needs to go. Sometimes you have to push. And so not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I hope that I am an example. And, and let me just say this also. Uh, I see the weaknesses in my ministry, my personally, the things that I do. Like, I, if, if you think that you see something that I'm not doing, doing well, I guarantee, I'm not going to guarantee, but I bet you that I have seen that thing too, and I wish I could do that thing better too. But I am limited in my time, and I have to choose to prioritize things, and sometimes I make the wrong choice in those priorities, for sure. But that's another reason why shared leadership helps. It doesn't all fall on one person. And so um, when, when we moved as Baptists, when we moved the Baptist faith and message to the word pastor, is because that's the word that most people use today for this type of leadership. Um, but in addition... If, if you're not a church with multiple pastors, then you're, a, you're not a church with multiple elders, with shared leadership. And so it, it becomes an issue. But being examples to the flock, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. So for elders who give their all, for elders who oversee, for elders who shepherd, for elders who teach, for elders who do what God has called them to do. Is it a hard task? Absolutely. But will there be reward? Absolutely. Are you giving um, reward for your actions? Yes. But is there added responsibility for the role? Yes. And so it's a double-edged sword. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your unfading crown and glory. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So we are to submit to elders. We are to submit to leadership. And so while I said earlier it's not my job to be your boss, it is my job to be your, a leader. And the way our church is structured, it's not just the role of elder where we have leaders. And so it is our job to submit to leadership. And if they're leading us astray, if I'm leading you astray, then who holds me accountable for that? God. And of course, other leaders in the church can come to me and say what they disagree with. We're to all clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 